how are you doing? My name is Dan Forrest, if you don't know who I am. Uh, Jonathan Chan and I have been preaching through uh, the Alphabet Psalm, which is Psalm 119. We call it the Alphabet Psalm because every section of eight verses in Psalm 119 starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And we've been preaching through two letter sections at a time, and in this video we'll be looking at Tet and Yod. I don't think I'm pronouncing those right at all. <laughs> Well, before we get to the psalm, I have a video clip to introduce the sermon. Uh, whenever we meet people who have something that we don't have, whether it be money or success or talent or good looks, we tend to respond in one of two ways. We're either drawn to them or we're repulsed by them. So we're either drawn to them. We want to be with them. We want to be like them. We want to learn from them. Or we're, or we're repulsed. We want to avoid them or maybe mock them, or even attack them. Let's take a look at this clip from Seinfeld, where George is in the diner with Elaine's new cool boyfriend, Tony. And let's see, how does George respond to Tony? So I said, uh, hey dude, you better step off. Step off? Yeah. You said step off? Wow! <laughs> Hey, uh, hey, uh, Tony. I, uh, I just had this brainstorm for us. Can you guess what it is? No. Bowling. What do you say? Bowling? Huh? Bowling's insane. Bowling is crazy time. Bowling. I don't think so, George. You're getting a rush from bowling. Rush? You want a rush? Drop a ball on your toe, my friend. <laughs> Talk about a rush. You'll be throbbing. You'll see visions. No, 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 no. I'm thinking rock climbing. All right, rock climbing. <laughs> so this is basically uh, a snapshot of Jonathan and my relationship. When I first met Jonathan, I just wanted to be exactly like him. I cut my hair like him. I did everything that he did. <laughs> I'm just totally joking. George, he's so attracted to Tony, though. It's ridiculous. Okay, now we're going to look at Jerry, though. How does Jerry respond to Tony? We saw George going over the top, trying to be like Tony, trying to be with him. How does Jerry respond to Tony? Oh, with the pretty boy, Tony. Yeah. Hey. Right. Okay. Hey, Tony. Yeah. Hey. That's nice. Hey. Listen, listen to this. Uh, don't want to keep Tony waiting. Hey, you got a problem with Tony? Hunky Tony. Hey. Okay. Jerry, I would be going out with him no matter what he looked like. Uh, of course you would. So we got two responses to the same guy. Both uh, George and Jerry are responding to Tony in totally different ways. Uh, well, this theme of attraction and repulsion are found in Psalm 119. And we're going to see it in these two sections. Uh, we're also going to see, uh, along with that, some other really good stuff. So let's just get right into Psalm 119, verses 65 to 80, and you'll see what I mean. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was humbled, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good, and you do good. Teach me your statutes. The arrogant smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. 
Their hearts are fat and gross, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was humbled, so that I might learn from your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice, because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your judgment, judgments are right, and that in faithfulness you have humbled me. Let your steadfast love become my comfort according to your promise to your servant. Let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Let the arrogant be put to shame, because they have subver subverted me with guile. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me, so that they may know your decrees. May my heart be blameless in your statutes, so that I may not be put to shame. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you so much once again for Psalm 119 and for the things that uh, you can teach us and inspire us through the psalm and through your word. And I pray, Lord, that as we explore this text together, that you would speak to us each individually and personally, Lord, that you'd help us to hear what we need to hear for today. And God, you would help us to have our eyes opened and our heart opened so that we can take this in and have this change our lives for the future. Thank you, God. Amen. Okay, so this morning, not this morning, whatever time it is as you're watching this video, I want to let you in on how I study the Bible and even how I prepare sermons. So essentially what I do is um, I read a passage and I ask a lot of questions of the text. I'm asking questions like, what is the author trying to say here? What does this passage mean for me today? I also look for verses or words or ideas that confuse me. And I take note of them. I highlight them. And I also look for verses that don't seem to fit with other passages in the Bible. Things that kind of seem contradictory. And I take note of those ones. And after I've asked all these questions and I've tried to understand them on my own, then I start to do some work. I, I compare these verses to other verses in the Bible. I'll also look at different translations or I'll, I'll start reading through Bible dictionaries if there are words or ideas that confuse me. And finally, I'll read through commentaries and read what others have studied about this passage and what conclusions that they have come to. I find commentaries often give me insight into a passage that I completely missed before, especially when it comes to historical context or different meanings of the words in Hebrew or Greek. So that's just a really quick snapshot of what my process is. It's, it's you know, really it's more complicated than when I'm actually doing it, but that's kind of the basics of it. And the reason that I share this with you is because I want to explore three questions that came up for me as I read this passage. As I said, when I read through, I just think of every question I can think of. And these are three that really stood out to me. So we're going to look at these three today. Why follow God's word? How do I follow God's word and not be a jerk? And why would anyone attack someone who's doing the right thing? Okay, so I asked myself the first question because whoever wrote Psalm 19 loves God's words and laws and commandments. So they're definitely going to share why they follow God's word. And this passage has a lot of reasons. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in this section. We're going to really rush through this. But just take a look at these few verses and I'm going to highlight what I believe 
the psalmist is saying there's a reason for why we should follow God's word. You have dwelt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Okay, number one right there. God's word has worked out so well for the psalmist. The word works, so do it. Uh, You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. Number two, God is good and he does good things. So it makes sense that what he tells us to do is also good. Next verse. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Number three, there's value in following God's word. Next, your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Number four, God created us. So he probably knows the best way for us to live. Verse 76, let your steadfast love become my comfort according to your promise to your servant. Let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. God's word is a promise of love and comfort, mercy and life. And the next verse, may my heart be blameless in your statutes so that I may not be put to shame. So sixth reason there, God's word prevents us and keeps us from shame. Okay, so those are six really quick reasons why it's good to follow God's law. And you could probably do a sermon on all six of those things. And you know what? The psalmist even gives another reason that he spreads throughout these verses. Three times the psalmist talks about being humbled. And that led the psalmist to return back to following God's word. And this translation is pretty gentle by saying humbled, while other translations They use harsher words like afflicted or suffered or tested. The psalmist felt the consequences of not following God's law. And he's recognized that those consequences were actually good for him because they led him back to doing the right thing. So a seventh reason to follow God's word is if you don't do it, things won't go so well for you. Okay, so like I said, that was a really quick answer to the first question. I rushed through it a bit because I really want to focus on the next next two questions. And the second question I had as I read through this passage was, how do I follow God's word and not be a jerk? I'm going to take a drink of water here. Well, if you remember from my previous sermon, I talked about how I love following rules. But when I live so rigidly by the rules, I can take the joy out of games that I'm playing or relationships I'm in or just life in general. So the psalmist has plenty of good reasons why it's good to follow God's rules. But how can I do that without being a jerk? Without sucking the joy out of life? And this question came to me as I read these two verses. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice. Because I have hoped in your word. Let those who fear you turn to me so so that they may know your decrees. In the first verse, people are rejoicing when they see the psalmist following God's word. In the second verse, people are drawn to the psalmist because they want to learn how to follow God's word as well. This is the response that we should be getting when we follow God's word well. People should rejoice at our actions and people should be attracted to us, wanting to learn more about following Jesus. A couple key words in Psalm 119 are joy and delight. 
This is evidence that we are following God the right way. We should feel joy and delight, and we should be a joy and delight to others as well. People should be responding to us like George responds to Tony, wanting to be with him, wanting to be like him, to learn from him. Although George is going a little overboard, of course, please don't be creepy like that. Doesn't come off well. Okay, so it's one thing to say, follow God and not be a jerk. But how do we actually do it? I'm going to look to some other verses in the Bible and some outside sources to help us grapple with this question. The big theme throughout the whole Bible is love God and love your neighbor as yourself. When someone asked Jesus what was the greatest commandment, these are the two that he listed. He said all of the laws hang on these two laws. And Paul himself said that these laws sum up the entirety of the law. Love is central to God's character and central to how we as his children are created to live. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians that we could have all these spiritual gifts and do all these amazing things, but if we don't have love, it's worthless. It's nothing. It even causes harm. Love has to be at the heart of everything we do as we follow God's commandments. Paul describes what love is in 1 Corinthians 13, this very famous passage. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Love trumps everything. And this is what angered Jesus so much about the Pharisees. They were following the law so zealously and so perfectly that there was no love. When Jesus was dining with the tax collectors and with the sinners, the Pharisees questioned this practice because to them it wasn't following God's rule to stay away from unclean things and unclean people. But the reason Jesus was dining with them was to make them clean and to help them become whole. And that's why Jesus said to the Pharisees, It is not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. If you're following the letter of the law, but not showing love to other people in the process, you've completely missed the spirit of the law. I've been disturbed this week by the story in the news of the street preacher and his associate in Vancouver who were preaching anti-gay rhetoric loudly through their speaker. Christians like that say they're speaking the truth in love, but I don't believe there's any love there. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not dishonor others. It always protects. These preachers They're not bringing joy and delight. They're not attracting people to learn from them. They're shaming people. They're condemning people. They're pointing the finger and cursing people. Instead of dining with these people like Jesus did, they're on the side, loudly judging them. Well, the reason that the story was in the news this week was because a local man named Justin Morissette 
was angered by the disrespect these Christians were showing the local gay community. And driven by love for his neighbors, he confronted the preachers. Justin was actually supposed to go on a date that night. Instead, he ended up in the hospital. Now, I should say, I don't agree with the way Justin confronted these guys. He came in aggressive. He took their microphone away. But what the Christians did in response was absolutely not in the spirit of Jesus. One of them grabbed Justin from behind in a full Nelson, locked legs with him, and wrenched so hard that Justin's leg broke in multiple places. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not easily angered. As we follow God's word, let's keep 1 Corinthians written on the back of our hand. Let's memorize it and say it over and over again in our minds so we can always be reminded of what the driving force behind what all our actions should be. Well, another idea for how we can follow God's word and and not be a jerk, uh, it comes from Jordan Peterson. And uh, I heard this from Jordan Peterson when he was on Joe Rogan's podcast. Now, I don't agree with everything that Dr. Peterson teaches, but for sure, this one thing really stood out for me, and I do think that it's biblical and I think that Jesus believes the same thing. So Jordan Peterson was discussing how so many young people want to go out and change the world, but they don't even have their own lives in order. So to those who want to change the world, he gave this simple advice. First, clean your room. What he's saying here is not a new idea, but he's telling it in a new way. We actually have heard this before. Confucius once said, To put the world in order, we must first put the nation in order. To put the nation in order, we must put the family in order. To put the family in order, we must first cultivate our personal life. We must first set our hearts right. Buddha also taught, One should first establish oneself in what is proper. Then only should one instruct others. Thus the wise men will not be reproached. And then Gandhi said, If you want to change the world, start with yourself. And of course, Jesus says as well, How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite! First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The message here from these guys and from Jordan Peterson, before tackling the big issues in life, or before tackling issues in other people's lives, Tackle your own issues first, and this will save you from being a jerk when following God's word. The simple command to clean your room, it sounds easy enough, but when you really get down to it, it can be quite difficult, especially if you're like me. I am such a slob. I have a hard time keeping my space clean and tidy. But it's one of the first things that Navy SEALs are taught to do in basic training. And Admiral William H. McRaven gave a famous commencement address to the grads of the University of Texas in 2014, offering them advice for how to change the world based on his experience as a Navy SEAL. And his first piece of advice was, make your bed. We're going to watch a little clip of him um, explaining why. If you make your bed every morning, 
you will have accomplished the first task of the day. It will give you a small sense of pride, and it will encourage you to do another task, and another, and another. And by the end of the day, that one task completed will have turned into many tasks completed. Making your bed will also reinforce the fact that the little things in life matter. If you can't do the little things right, you'll never be able to do the big things right. And if by chance you have a miserable day, you will come home to a bed that is made, <laughs> that you made. And a made bed gives you encouragement that tomorrow will be better. So if you want to change the world, start off by making your bed. Well, once you've made your bed in the morning, you've taken the first step in cleaning your room and getting your life in order. It sounds kind of silly, this like just simple practice of making your bed, cleaning your room. Like this must be a metaphor, right? No, I know it's not a metaphor. Start with something practical and simple like that. Well, when we start getting on the road of making these small changes in our lives, I encourage you to next consider meditating on God's commands, reading through the Bible, and considering which of God's commands for you can you start practicing in your life today. I encourage you to start small and work your way up. Don't start telling people how they should live their lives until you've done the hard work of changing your own. Well, the third question that I asked as I read through this passage was, why would anyone attack someone who's doing the right thing? Hey, the street preachers, I'm sure, they're rejoicing that they were attacked because to them, that's probably evidence that they were doing the right thing. But you already know my opinion there. I don't think they were acting in love. I don't think they were following God's word. Their situation is not the one that I'm thinking of with this next question. What I'm thinking of is what the psalmist describes in these verses. The arrogant smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Their hearts are fat and gross, but I delight in your law. Let the arrogant be put to shame, because they have subverted me with guile. Okay, I don't know what the heck subverted me with guile means, so I looked for another translation and I found for wronging me without cause. That makes a lot more sense to me. Okay, as for me, I will meditate on your precepts. So reading through these verses, I asked myself the question, why are people who are doing genuinely good and loving things attacked? Why are the arrogant spreading lies or putting the good person to shame? Why do they care? Why, why don't they just leave them alone? Or why aren't they celebrating with them and rejoicing with them? Well, you can check out Jonathan's sermon last week because he talked all about mockery. Uh, Jonathan touched a bit on why this happens, but he really spent most of, the talk, most of the time talking about how to respond when we're mocked for doing the right thing. And he had a lot of really good things to say, so if you haven't uh, listened to it yet, I encourage you to go check it out. But what I really want to dig into now is why. Why do good pe why, <laughs> why good people are mocked and slandered and attacked? And I think Jordan Peterson actually nails it again with his advice to clean your room. He describes what happens when someone living in a chaotic household like, for example, a dorm room or um, an unhealthy family living situation, when someone living in a chaotic household starts keeping their room clean, people in the house start to notice and they get pissed off. 
Who do you think you are? You think you're better than us? You know, when you just try to organize this little part of your life, it actually casts a dim light on the insufficiencies and the inadequacies of others around you. And the person who's keeping their room clean or their side of the dorm room clean isn't boasting about it or shaming the other person in the house for their mess. Just by doing this right thing privately on their own, the others in the house realize that they're not keeping up. And instead of changing their behavior, which is the hardest thing to do, they go on the offensive and they attack the person who is actually changing their behavior. And those people, they end up resorting to the easiest thing that they can do. Some of these attacks are based in shame, but some are also based in jealousy or envy. You know, you have something that they want, but they're not willing to put in the hard work to get it. So they bring you down to push away their negative feelings. So yes, I'm sorry. You will be attacked. You will be mocked and insulted for doing the right thing. And that's because it's actually stirring stuff in in your attackers that they aren't really ready or willing to deal with themselves. So don't let that stop you from doing good. Don't let them cut in on the changes that you are seeing in your own life. Because it's actually for their good that you are making changes in your life. Because hopefully one day, your patient, non-threatening, non-intrusive, loving actions will in turn inspire them to turn and seek Jesus and his righteousness. So, how should you respond when you are mocked? Check out Jonathan's sermon from last week. Seriously, if you haven't already, check it out. He's some really good practical stuff to support us. Okay, so thank you so much for journeying with me as I wrestled through these three questions that came up for me as I read the passage. I hope the sermon is encouraging to you in your journey of learning how to follow Jesus well. And if we're doing it right, people will be attracted to following Jesus too. And the Spirit will stir stuff up in people without us having to be a jerk and wag our finger at them. Remember, God gave us his word to guide us, his spirit to empower us, and the church to support us. I'm going to leave you with Hebrews 12, 1 to 2 as our benediction. Sorry, 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Amen. Well, I hope to see you again on Sunday as we have our Zoom church service. Uh, I've got some discussion questions to think about that we will be going over in, uh, uh, in our time together on Sunday. So these are the questions. Number one, what questions come to mind as you read this passage? So I shared three of my questions that stood out for me. As you read through this passage, what are some questions that come up for you? And hopefully we get some good discussion about that on Sunday. Uh, number two. Who have you mocked or belittled when really you were just jealous of them? So let's put ourselves in the shoes of 
the person who, uh, you know, when was a time when you felt um, jealous or envious or shameful because someone else around you was doing the right thing or doing good? And who have you mocked or belittled for those reasons? And number three, what are some small ways that you yourself can start to clean your room and follow the way of Jesus? So those are my discussion questions for us for Sunday. Looking forward to being together with you again and worshiping and uh